Good morning. Good morning. We were just talking about bullies <laughs> before we hit record, and now I don't have anything to start with. <laughs> I don't. I was just talking about how I remember this one bully very specifically, and his uh, his father was famous, and uh, his father was famous like in our not in his father was famous in a certain category in a certain career. I don't even want to say because people will know who he is, and. He thought like he walked around with such bravado because of his dad. And it was his dad was kind of like a Tony Soprano type character. And he was like a mini Tony Soprano character. And I had friends like growing up, all my friends were, were, I I was friends with everybody. I was friends with the jocks, the, the criminals, the rich kids. And he, for some reason, didn't like me. And we were just talking about how I remember him being a bully to me in kindergarten, then in like second grade. And then like my next, I, he was always around and he was just never nice to me. But I remember very specific events where he like kind of took a, like a verbal swipe at me. And I remember just, we were all just about to go out in graduation and walk across, you know, our families in the arena. And, and he made fun of me for wearing sneakers to the event. And I was like, I really felt like just hitting him in the head with a, with a chair. Like I was like, if he turned his back, I was going to like swing and hit him with a metal chair. But it would have like turned the whole event into like a big brouhaha. But I remember thinking to myself, I didn't even want to come here. And so like I didn't even turn this into an event. Like I didn't go to my prom. I didn't I didn't want to go to my high school graduation just because I just felt like an outsider. I just didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. So I was like, why do I need to like square peg myself into this round hole? And then he said that to me. And I was like, this is exactly why I didn't want to come here. So I just, Mm. it was just, it, it plays in my mind like a high school after school special, you know, hmm. and, uh, and like, you know, in the end I'd be like riding off on my motorcycle that I just fixed myself, like and the credits would roll and it'd be like renegade all by myself. <laughs> After I said like the one key thing to him that put him down and his like hot girlfriend broke up with him in front of everybody. <laughs> none of that Little happened. Credits. Yeah. None of that happened. I just kept my mouth shut and I just said, well, he was always notoriously fat. So I was just like, well, you know what? He's fat, so that, I guess he's just hurting inside <laughs> because he's 100 pounds overweight. Wow. Since we were in kindergarten, he was 100 pounds overweight. Until mm. when we graduated, he was 100 pounds overweight. And then about two years ago, he tried to friend me on Facebook, and he was still 100 pounds overweight, and he was missing his hair. So I was like, you know what? Screw him. <laughs> By the way, I'm missing my hair, too. <laughs> so- <laughs> We were, we were talking about bullies, and you guys are sharing stories, and I'm like, I don't really have any. I in high school, I was so I was extremely quiet, extremely shy. There was 300 and some kids in our graduating class. It was like at that time in 1993, it was the largest graduating class from any school in Ohio. And so I lived out in the country. I didn't have a car, so I did not participate in any school events, never went to any dances, no prom, no sports, nothing. And I just did not get noticed. And no, because it wasn't noticed, people didn't pick on me. And then yeah. I started to come out of my shell after high school and, you know, working at jobs and going to school and stuff kind of helped me going to college and stuff kind of helped me shape who I am now. But yeah, no fights, never been punched. I was very social in high school. I, I mean, I was very friendly with everybody, but I always, like, I guess looking back, I was friends with everybody, like all the different classes of kids and people and different categories of, of you know, artists, non-artists, punks. Uh, what, do you, what do you want to call them at the time? They weren't called goths, but, you know, the weirdos at the time. And I was friends with every one of them. And so this one guy was just always a thorn in my side. And he, I, I liken it to he probably, and he probably was just jealous of me for some reason because he just lacked that like easygoing personality that I always had growing up. And uh, so I, I, I took the high road. I guess if that could make a moral point to all like this conversation is that I just took the high road and he went on to be successful. He literally just slipped right into his father's life. His father passed away and he just be, basically became his father and uh, in the career that he had. And you know, he gets notoriety here and there, but um, I just likened it to, you know, he probably was just hurting inside and jealous. And, you know, it sounds so cliche, but it, that's probably all it was. 
and out of nowhere, he, he wanted to friend me, uh, like, out of nowhere. Like, like I, I was going to write a note to him, like, why? Like, what, what in the world do you want to have to be, like, why do you want to be friends with me? Why do you care at this point? Of course, I blocked him, and I didn't write anything, but. You know, an interesting thing kind of like that happened to me recently. I got a message from someone, uh, not from my childhood, but just someone, and it was a very, like, uh, kind of apologetic, like, I hope we're okay, you and I are okay kind of a message. And it really caught me off guard, and I couldn't figure out what it was about because I didn't. There was no beef. There was no issue there. And um, jo- I was telling Josh about it, and he kind of mentioned like it may be somebody trying to become sober, and that's part of their process is visiting older, oh yeah, you know, stuff and trying to rectify that. Yeah, I was like, oh, I hadn't even considered, even though I didn't see an issue. Maybe there was an issue on the other end and you know part of them healing themselves is being able to apologize and be accountable for their Mm -hmm. past so you know maybe it was something like that i don't know but but i I agree like i think um the the guy that kind of bullied me when i was in high school for a little while i'm pretty sure that was all um based off him trying to compensate for in front of his friends for stuff about him personally. You know, he was trying to prove himself, I think, by picking on somebody younger and um, somebody who wasn't in sports. You know, like, oh, yeah, well, that kid doesn't play this game. Like, I'll go mess with him because he's not on my team and I don't have to respect him, you know, because my coach says I do or whatever. So I think a lot of times that stuff is just, you know, compensating for things. We won't belabor this uh, conversation, but my brother told me something really funny and I wish I had a good ending to the story. I don't know the ending details, but the, the setup is super funny. So about a year and a half ago, I guess going into my, my nephew now is going into 11th grade, but he was going into like eighth or ninth grade and he was really getting bullied by this group of kids. And he has a sister. So they were all saying really rude things about my niece to my nephew. They were both 13, 14 at the time. And my brother gave my nephew this advice. He says, tomorrow's the first day of school. When you see that kid, don't wait for anybody to say anything. You know what he's been doing to you all summer. Just walk right up to him and punch him as hard as you can directly in the face. And <laughs> I wish I had an answer. I wish I had the end of the story. I don't have the end of the story. And I laughed and I said, why would you tell him? Why would you give him that advice? He's going to get kicked out of school. He goes, because he will, he will win respect forever. Mm. For the next four years in high school, everybody will remember him as the kid who punched somebody who deserved it because everybody knows what a, what, what, what a jerk that kid was to him and other people. And yeah, I'm, I don't agree. I mean, it's like, it's like prison <laughs> I would rules. say there are other it's ways like to get, rules. to get respect. <laughs> yeah. But my brother is, my brother is an ex Marine and you know, he's, he's a very aggressive human being. He's calmed down quite a bit in his old days. This is my brother, Joseph, who most people don't know because he doesn't have social media. And he's never been on show. It's interesting. My kids, as my kids are growing up, my, especially my oldest, you know, he's he's older than all the rest of the kids in our family. So he interacts differently than they do. He He's just taller. He's, he's stronger. He's, you know, all that stuff. And so um, he's a good kid, but he's on the potential end of being the one who bullies, right? Because he's the bigger, stronger, older, has more access and more history and all this stuff. And so we've tried to to kind of stabilize that and stop him from going that direction by like, you know what? These little kids that you may pick on now, or, you, you know, he doesn't pick on people, but we're saying if you were to pick on little kids, eventually they're going to be big kids and they can punch you in the face and they can flatten you out on your back if you deserve it. So like, <laughs> they're not always going to be smaller than you. People are not always going to be weaker than you. You know, you need to look at everybody kind of at the same level. Even handedly. Um, yeah. And I think that means a lot to a kid who's trying to figure out like their place in, do I try to dominate a situation or do I try to level it out and, you know, lift other people up? And when you're uh, like a preteen, that stuff is so confusing and like, you don't know where your head's at and you don't know like how you're supposed to interact with people older and younger at the same time and with your teachers and with your parents, there's a lot going on. So we're trying to make sure that he's aware that he is not the top of the food chain. And he started middle school this year and before school, we were like, you know, over the summer, you were the big kid at home, but you go to middle school, you're the little kid. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody in that school is bigger than you. So, you know, be nice. But be nice. Anyway. 
One of the things that I think is, uh, we didn't mean to talk about this. This just came up in random conversation. Uh, you were talking earlier, Jimmy, about how like you're wearing sneakers and how you were friends with all these different people and like whatever. Um, I hadn't ever thought about this because I'm not necessarily one that cares so much about what other people think of me personally. But in this maker community, in the both in your local, like people who hang out at makerspaces, people who build stuff together, and in the broad online community, I have never once felt, and maybe I'm privileged in this, but I've never once felt like, oh man, I got to get that Carhartt shirt because everybody, th- you know, they won't think I'm a real builder or whatever unless I have that thing. Like, I, I've never felt that uh, you need to conform thing that we all feel through high school and through college and through growing up in some way, some way, shape or form. Like this community is about as diverse as it could possibly be in style and artistic vision and all that type of stuff. And that's awesome. And I hope that, you know, it's funny. That reminds me of something that that I can bring it back to, to us three. I remember when we first started talking on the podcast and you guys would have these secret conversations in front of me about CNC. And I'd be like, Boy, boy, I wish I understood <laughs> it. Wish I understood. It's like it's like when you're hanging out with like people that speak a foreign language, and all of a sudden, like family members start speaking, and you don't. You're like, oh, mm. okay. I hope they're not talking about me. They're just talking about like you know daily family routine stuff. But that's what it would be like when the three of us get together. You guys would talk about your Shipoko or uh, the X Carve, and I was like, oh wow, I wonder what those are. I wonder what that means. And I look back, and so many years. It's only been whatever five years. Mm-hmm. I have like a you have the biggest CNC, CNC machine. I have and like, one for metal. <laughs> I got, I'm saying I got a CNC, but every aspect of my life, I've completely fallen in love with the the technology, and I've completely embraced it. And at that time, I was almost feeling a bit of like, well, I don't need no CNC. I can do everything myself. It was a little bit of that, but that's just <laughs> my own personal Long Island, you know, New York attitude, self defense mechanism. I remember I must have put out a tweet or I must have said it in a video. This is a spider is falling right in front of my computer. What the crap? That is creepy. (laughs) So I remember, remember (laughs) I remember um, this was when I was still working at the ad agency and I must have put out a tweet or said something in a video about CNC. Like everything is too expensive. Um, I, I guess this is not for me. And Bob, who I didn't know at the time, sent me an email. And I remember being at work, opening up this email. And he's like, you should check out this company called Inventables. They have a CNC called the Shape Oko. And I was like, oh. And then I instantly like bought that. And I remember Bob is the one that steered me towards CNC. Huh. So, Bob, you, bully, you bullied all that. three of us. And you bullied us, <laughs> too, and together. <laughs> How do you feel about being a bully? I don't know if it's bully so much as drag you along. No, No, so you're talking about conforming and it really wasn't necessarily conforming as much as it was like, you know, we, we we introduced each other to to new technology, us meaning everybody in this community. Uh, You know, I've been, I just finished this leather project up, which I could talk about in a minute, but I went right online. I found some other YouTubers doing stuff and, you know, it's just, it's just, we're all just, Showing our hand to everybody. No one's holding I the cards what it's, for the vest. What it is, is Bob mentions everything. It's, it's so diverse. And there's such a wide range of people and what they like. And no matter what your budget is or what you're into or your style, you can find somebody to relate to. Maybe not a content creator. Uh, or it could be a content creator. But it could be anybody. And you could find somebody that you relate to. And it's... You you can feed off of that. You can be inspired by that just because it's so diverse. You know, it's interesting. We were talking, so I asked for tweets. Um, let me start over. I asked through Twitter for some topic suggestions for this, and there were a bunch of great ones came in. And beforehand, we were talking, and one of them was from someone named Troy. And it was a legit challenge. It's not like it, there's no bad thing behind it. But it was, do you do an, the challenge was do an entire build with hand tools only. And so we were talking about this beforehand, and I said, my response personally is like, no, like, why would I do that? Doesn't make any sense. It, it's it's just a challenge. But the cool thing about this community is that there are people who like would totally dig that challenge, being forced out of their comfort zone 
to have to do something with tools they're not familiar with or they're not skilled with or whatever. Um, and then, you know, and that type of a build or that type of a project would totally speak to a group of people who are into that thing. The crossover there is that there are people who only want to use CNCs. There are people who want to do everything in between. There's people who want to see only CNC or see only mixture of types of tools. What was his it, name? It, uh, Troy. Uh, Troy, about three months ago, I did a hand tool only project. I built a spaceship with only hand tools. There you go. You did. And it was very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, that's a good example of like a thing that uh, it's not, I don't want to say it's like trying to get somebody to conform, but it's taking an interest of your own and trying to get someone else to grab hold of that interest, you know, which I think is a, a valuable thing. It's like, hey, here's an idea that you've probably never done. Maybe you want to try this. Me personally, that's not something I really want to try to to do because I have enough other stuff that I'm already really interested in, directions I already want to try to go that are outside of my comfort zone. That's just not one that really speaks to me. My point being is that the um, community is diverse enough that that stuff is happening already. There are people who want that challenge and who want to figure that out and people who want to see that being figured out. Um I just think that's really cool because even though that particular thing is not for me, it is for a lot of people Mm -hmm. in this space. That's really cool. Hey, Bob. Hey, yeah. What are you working on? (laughs) I got to go first? I never go first. I know. Um, Let's see. So we put out a video yesterday on Wednesday. We're recording out of order. Everything's out of order this week. We put out a video on the wrong day this week (laughs) on purpose. Um, making a marquee sign for my daughter, and uh, it was uh, it was the Avengers Endgame, which is a movie. Jimmy, in case you weren't aware, it's a it's it's a movie about superheroes, and mm. it's made more money than every other movie in the history of the human race. Wow! <clears throat> yes, you may want to look that up. I mean, you, you're probably not going to watch it, but I wish, you, I wish everybody could see this. Jimmy is not paying attention. He's like reading something on his phone. No, and I'm, just, I'm, wow. I'm going to look at Bob's video because I want to I comment on it. Wow. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Talk about condescending. No. Um, it, I don't know. If, was that in the after show? I think it was in the after show. Oh, yeah, yeah. A couple weeks ago in the after show, I was trying to tell Jimmy about this. I got a video sponsored by Avengers Endgame, and he was like, what is that? Like, legitimately did not know what it was, and it kind of broke me a little bit. <laughs> anyway, we did this We did this sign for my daughter, and it's a, it's inspired by the movie, but it's really it's a standalone thing. Um, but I really liked it. It was like a personal thing that my daughter and I have this little connection over this silly superhero movie, and... I was able to make a thing that's now in her room, and she enjoys it. And uh, so we did that this week. And then we're actually we've got a couple of other projects that are done or in progress, but we're this week out at the farm building some big doors. Oh, cool! For the barn, which is kind of cool. And so I used your video, Jimmy. Oh, hold on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Watch that one because I remember when you put that one out, it was giant doors. I was like, I'm never going to need giant barn doors. Why would I watch that video? And I didn't watch it at the time. Actually, I might have watched part of it. Did uh, Anyway, I went back and I was like, I watched it. Uh, well, how are you treating the hinges? Are you going to buy them? Or I know you don't have a lathe big enough uh, to make a hinge like that, but no, yeah, I didn't want to go through that effort. And the doors are way smaller than yours, so they don't have to carry that kind of load. So I just found some kind of heavy-duty hinges and welded them onto the frame. Right on. So, yeah. Right. But I'm um, today I'm going to go finish installing those. <clears throat> and that's that's what we're into. Well, David, what are you doing? I Friday, I have my closet organizer video coming out. And cool. in a couple weeks, I'm going to build uh, bifold doors. And I know you did that a year or two ago, and they look great. So I actually watched your video, and I ordered the same... Cool track that you used in there so uh yeah so i think we're gonna do some sort of like frosted glass type thing whatever i haven't completely designed that but this week we designed a we did another box joint jig video but this time with a router and not a router table we kind of invented or pulled we pulled inspiration from other router jigs and made this jig that's if you don't have a route if you don't have a if you can't can't use a data stack and you don't have a router table, all you need is a router and a bench and you can make box joints. So we're going to use that uh-huh. to make a super fancy 
walnut toolbox in a couple weeks. So, wow. Yeah. I'm not saying I invented this jig, but I'm not saying I didn't. Didn't. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I'm basically not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Oh, speaking of box joint jigs, and I, I heard that this happened to you through back channels. Um, I was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was using my box joint jig the other day with a dado stack on my saw stop, and uh, it the the jig has it's an anchor jig and it's got aluminum pieces in it to hold the whole thing up. Wow. And I I was making a really tall finger box finger joint thingy. <laughs> Just didn't think about the fact that it was going to hit the aluminum on boink. the jig. Boink. Um, yeah. So it tripped the saw stop with a dado stack. Except it's That's not a, a boink. boink. No, it's a thud, <laughs> crack. Everything stops, and you're yes. looking at your fingers trying to make sure everything's still there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah, but man, that's a drag. It's like an expensive break and blades. I don't think it actually damaged the blades, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but. Anyway, mine damaged the blades. I, I've I've tripped mine with the regular blade a couple times, and no damage to the blade. But the dado stack really? it broke off the carbide tooth, and mm. so you know dado stacks are stupid expensive, and then the brakes are are a little pricey as well. But yeah, I I am willing to pay that price to save my finger in the future. That's yeah, it's interesting though. Like I would if my finger were going toward the blade and it tripped, I'd be like, heck yeah, I don't care, two hundred dollars, sure. But this like wasn't even <laughs> I wasn't in danger. It just happened to hit a piece of metal that was in the way that I didn't realize, you know, so that's just on me. But Yeah. You know, it's yeah. funny, it's it, it's so stop. This is something they should consider because I've been going through lately. I've been cutting a little bit of wet wood lately. So you override the brake mm-hmm. to turn on the machine, so now there's no brake. And because doing that is a pain in the butt, you never turn the saw off. Oh. So I leave the saw oh, running right. for 30 minutes while I'm doing different things because I'm going <clears> to <throat> grab another piece of fresh cut wood, which is wet wood. And then I'll, I'll, this piece of plywood might have a nail in it somewhere. So that's like a little process they need to kind of figure out. I know me personally. I can go and... So overriding the brake should be as easy as turning it on with the brake, mm. I believe. Because of a production shop, well, not really a big production shop, but a production shop like mine, which has to constantly consider that. I'm not going to go in there, turn the key, turn the paddle on, wait, wait, let go of the key every single it's, time. I need to shut the saw on and off when I'm running wet process. I have to look it up every time because I forget. And there's a YouTube video. Oh, I, it's I, like I, a one-minute yeah. YouTube video that I watch to learn how to turn it on without the brake. Yeah, no. And you only have to watch the first like thirty yeah. something seconds, yeah. and you get the thing, and then you're like, okay, off. <laughs> so what I've been working on lately, I talked about it. Uh, I finished my leather bag last night, and I'm really, really happy with it. I it was such a learning process. I'm working for Weaver Leather now. I'm going to do three videos for Weaver Leather for their channel, and the first is this leather bag, which is a copy of a Filson bag, but totally different. I just really copied it for the size and shape. Uh, the way the Filson bag is made is made completely out of canvas. So there's many different processes, n- not nearly the same at all as if you're doing leather, aside from just a stitch. But besides that, I was really, really uh, impressed with my just jumping in, figuring out titiveness. Is that a word? Jumping in, it, figuring man, out I titiveness. hope I can write that as the title. <laughs> Say that again? <laughs> jumping in, figuring out titiveness. Because I really had no solutions to a lot of the problems. And I'm wondering if this video should be a voiced over video or not. But of course, I'll edit it silent and then I'll voice it over. And whether I publish it that way or not publicly, I'll decide that later. But there was so much learning in this. And Taylor, who's extremely critical of anybody that does other work, was like, wow, the bag looks good. You should be very proud of yourself. <laughs> And to get, I mean, I I saw it in progress, but it does look really, really. Oh, thank you, thank you. To get that from my girlfriend is like, I probably only got that one other time before, like, you know what I mean. So I have to like, I I took a picture of the moment, and I was like, let's remember this, Um, because she'll be like, this is nice. You should have done this. That's always like the very first thing out of her mouth, no matter what. Like I could literally build the Eiffel Tower. She's like, well, did you really want it to be so tall? 
<laughs> always, there's always like a compliment then Black? a really a compliment then a, this is how I would have done it. And like I really and I love my girlfriend, of course. We've been together for nearly ten years. But when you criticize somebody, and I learned this from being thirty years in art school and twenty four of those as a teacher. The one thing you never want to say to somebody when you're like, wow, that's really cool. You know what you should have done? Like, that should be out of the equation. Like, what you should have done basically means, I would have done it this way. You, you, yours, know, you invalidate, you, you immediately invalidate what somebody else has already done. Go ahead. We should take what you just said and send it to the YouTube engineers. So when someone types that into the comment box, it just deletes it. And then they have to come up with another way to say what they want to say. Oh, that's cool. You know what you should have done? <laughs> so that should it. be like maybe the 13th thing you say, not the second. Just when, like, that's the note to everybody yeah. that meets an artist that is looking at their work, that is critiquing them. If they're, if they're even asked for their opinion, just say, that's really cool. And in your mind, say, what I will do is yeah. this. It's hard to not do that. I've gotten better at it because because we all get those comments, but you don't think you're you're doing harm. You you just you're just you think you're adding ideas to a completely finished done project. Well, and I mean to be fair, you are adding an idea and it's on the the receiving end of that that's really where the issue is. You know, it's like us having pride in our work and then somebody else dumps more on that and our pride gets diminished. <clears throat> it's that's on us, really. But so, besides yeah. that, I finished the bag and I'm real happy with it. And uh, you know, I did a tremendous amount of learning, uh, unbelievable uh, things I learned on this crate. They gave me this crazy machine that just will sew through. It will sew through like almost three quarters of, of an inch of leather, which is unbelievable. The machine makes no noise. It's it's like a foot electric on demand. It's geared so high that you could literally, you could just feather this thing, and this needle will just like go through three four layers of leather like any nothing hums nothing groans it's unbelievable hmm. uh wow. and then so besides that i'm working on these these three bars i'm working on a project it's a collaboration between carhartt and guinness guinness beer and carhartt the clothing company and we're making three bars and i haven't really been given the green light to do social media on it yet so i'm only showing various techniques that i'm doing of the build i haven't shown the collective cohesive build yet which we're getting close now it's a matter of branding and doing some finishing we're getting really close and uh today they're sending cards sending a crew thursday and friday to do some filming of me so they have some of their own footage that they're going to incorporate into a video somewhere but it's working out really good and uh i've been talking to cohort for the last 13 years and finally we're doing something together when i worked on the tv show in 2006 this is the first time i ever talked to carhartt and we've gone back and forth and now finally we're actually officially doing something together so i'm happy about that because carhartt is just like a staple in everybody's collection i believe the maker. my very first sponsorship was i think carhartt did something with some sort of beer company and uh, I believe that was my very first time I got paid to to make a video. Oh, cool! Now, not one hundred percent on that, but um, <clears throat> well, I've got these questions from Twitter. Do you want to run through some of them? There's a whole bunch, and so we definitely won't get to all of them. But there's a few that I think stick out. Pretty cool. Um, this one is kind of a, a practical thing, and we may have talked about it before, but it's from Kevin Moyer. What types of tools are worth dropping real money on and what types are fine to just get the cheap ones? Um, you guys got any? I'll tell you what. I would say a sander. Any kind of drum sander, belt sander. Get the good stuff because the bad stuff, if you have tracking problems with like a belt sander or a cheap belt sander, let's say if you have like a, a 6 by 48 inch belt sander that you you know a standalone belt sander if it doesn't track well it's just going to drive you crazy it might track great and then you put wood against it and then it tracks off or uh, the adjustable plate you bog it down you bog it down or the plate that you know make let's say there's a 12 inch disc on it the plate on that disc you want to make sure that the trunnions on it are quality uh, that being said, Harbor Freight sells a good 12 inch disc sander, really cheap, you know, in the category. And I have one, I, I think I have two of them actually. And, uh, David, I know you have one. They're great, you know, for the money, but in general, if you're going to get a belt sander, get a good quality one. That's all I say. 
I have that same one, that Harbor Freight one, and it's I actually don't use it a lot of times because it's too powerful. Like you can't you can't really do fine type stuff with it, I guess unless you had a really, you know, high grit paper on it. But I keep kind of a low grit on it, so if I need to round off, you know, the end of a two by four or something, it's just like five seconds of Yeah. So, yep. That thing is beefy. I think I have one twenty grit. Any online. thoughts? Uh, yes, I think, I don't know that you necessarily need a brand name table saw, but you want a table saw. I'm I'm not a big fan of the portable table saws. They're light, they move, they don't have a really good fence system, and it's hard to build jigs for them. So I would say spend the money on a decent table saw. Definitely. Build around. Definitely. I remember that moment in my career when I went from having like a janky table saw to say, for instance... Uh, the the progression was I had a janky little uh, job site saw that I put up on a table, and then I got a used Delta Unisaw from Craigslist, maybe twenty five years ago, whatever Craigslist was. It might have been the penny saver I got it, and then I ended up going to the saw stop, which was just unbelievable. So. Yeah, that was a significant jump for me as well because the. I had to take my table saw outside to use it in my old shop for a long time. And so I had to buy a saw that was collapsible. You know, it has a stand, has wheels on it, and it folds down. And that's all I had ever used. And so I was just like, well, table saws are kind of awful, you know, and they they move when you push on them. Um, And so then I saved up for the saw stop. And going from that floppy kind of thing with a blade on it to a big, heavy cast iron top, you know, that saw does not move. The saw stop does not move when you push on it. That was night and day. And actually made me, even outside of the whole safety system, just the weight of the machine and it being stable made it feel way safer to me. So, yeah, I'm with you. That's And you can do that with, you know, if you have one of the job site saws that has more of just a case, it doesn't have a stand. You can build a case to add weight to it to hold it down. Like David's saying, you're still going to probably have trouble building jigs for it because the fence is probably going to be kind of non-standard the slots may be non-standard but you can make it safer by adding stability to it i think it's like so i'll go the other direction um he was asking you know which ones are worth spending money on what types are fine for the cheap ones i'll go with cheap ones i think in general the clamps the mass of clamps that you get can be super cheap you probably should have a few that are really nice for certain things Mm -hmm. you know if you're if you're doing like big big panel glue ups or something. Um, the weaker, the big ones are, the more they're going to flex. So you may not get flat panels, that type of thing. But for like small F clamps and C clamps and stuff, the cheap stuff is, yeah, like you can go in and spend a hundred dollars and have more clamps than you could ever use of that size, you know? Uh, and they, they last. And if they don't last, like big deal. I'm going to, I'm going to, Tell you one thing about those Harbor Freight clamps. I actually, there was one day in the shop, <laughs> Brett will attest to this. I went around, I collected all the Harbor Freight clamps and I put them in the vise and I bent them so I would never pick them up again. And I threw them in my <laughs> friends. <laughs> I only had like three of them or four of them, but I had these long, the long ones. And the reason I threw them out is because there was a few times and I kept saying, oh, let me fix that. The little cup on the swivel part of the F clamp, the cup that's like, the rivet kept deteriorating, deteriorating. So then I put it tight and tight and tight. And then a couple hours later, I take it off and the the cup is mushed back onto the threads and I put a big dent in the wood because the cup just couldn't withstand its own weight. You know, talking about the little swivel cup. On a good Jorgensen clamp, it doesn't have a hollow face. It has a solid flat face. On the cheap clamps, they're riveted. They're just stamped, so they're assuming like the little rim of stamped metal is enough to support it off of the end of the mm. screw. I don't know if what I'm talking about makes sense. Anyway, so one day I was frustrated, and I went. I had the long ones, and I put them in a vise, and I, I literally bent them like this. So like instead of being an F-clamp, they were like, like two <laughs> hockey sticks side by side. And I, I can say I've never had that experience. I've, I've only had good experiences with their F-clamps. Their aluminum bar clamps, I've... Every one that I've ever had broke on me. When you clamp yep. too tight, they, they break. Yeah. So I, I personally like pony pony style or Jorgensen clamps. And I was actually just the other day, I realized I said to Brett, I go, we don't have enough of these because I've been doing a lot of clamping. 
the little ones, the 10 inch ones, I don't have enough of them or they get used so commonly that they get left on a, on a project or like I'll clamp up something temporarily and then leave four of them on that project leaning on the wall. And then when I go to weld, it's like, I need 20 and there's only so many because they're all scattered around the shop. So I wanted to get like buckets full of them. So I was going to go to eBay or Craigslist, probably eBay, because it's really where you can kind of zero in on a search and just buy a bunch of them. And cool. So that's it. Clamps, clamps, good clamps. Good use. I like good yeah. used clamps. And one, one, one super important thing about clamps, if you guys have more dry environments than me, it's so important to keep your clamps, the, the Acme screw, oiled. Because it's it's so frustrating when you're like, for instance, when I'm working on like the canoe and I'm like grabbing all and I got every clamp I ever own on the floor around the canoe and every other one I pick up needs to be oiled because I can't, it's been sitting around and it's been half in the weather, half out of the weather. So it's really important to keep all your acne screws on all your clamps oiled. So when you need them, they're not going to be stuck or sticky. So cool. I'm done ranting. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next one is, um, this is something I struggle with actually from David Plass. How do you balance research, learning, watching videos about making the thing versus actually making the thing? So for me, I don't spend enough time on the research, learning, watching videos part. I just have the tendency to jump in and like do as little research as possible so that I can just keep moving and get in. And I've known this about myself for years that if I put a little bit more kind of pre-development time into an idea, it would make the idea better, right? And I would probably have fewer failures and stuff along the way. I just happen to enjoy learning on the job versus learning before the job. Uh, And, you know, other people, when they watch the video, that can be very frustrating for them. Like, why didn't you look this up? You would save yourself time and material and whatever if you just look this up. And they're totally right. It's not really how I work. Um, how do you, how do you guys balance? I'm like that. I'll start like, for instance, this leather thing was, it was a great example. I started and, uh, I did some research, but more, more importantly, I would get, I, I would get the bag to a certain point and then I'd be like, let me take a break and think on this. And then my collective experience would then give me the answer like the day later. Well, I'm right in the moment. I'm trying to do something. I back off if I'm frustrated or if I realize I don't have a good solution to something, I just step back. And I wait for that answer to come to me. And, and that might include going online. But I don't put all of my learning into a basket and then go do the project. I start the project. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Now this answers some questions and opens up more. What do I really need to do from this point on? Then I'll either, like I said, I'll either sit on it, let my collective experience give me some answers, you know, as I sleep on it, literally, or look around now that I've gotten to this point. Now I know what better to search for where I didn't know I needed to search for that because I didn't know I was going to run into that problem. So it's definitely on the job. I think for me, it's a little bit different. I think if I was just by myself in the shop, I would like to just experiment and play around and learn on the fly. But because I'm paying somebody else to be there with me filming, I do a lot of research to make sure I know what I'm doing. For example, I just got a shaper tool and I still haven't even plugged it in because I need to spend an evening just playing with it before Dan comes over and we film with it because otherwise we'll just, it'll it'll take all day and we'll just waste time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't really have anything else to add to that one, I guess. Um, so we'll see. Let me go down here. <laughs> this one's from Vincent, uh, Ferrari. Hey, Vincent. Is there anything you'll miss about your previous shops? No. No. <laughs> no. I, I mean, duck work, you hit your head on all the time. Cramped space, not room to build furniture. Smelly, wet, cat boxes. <laughs> no, nothing. Wow. Your sounds worse than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy? What was the question? I was reading an, an email. I'm no. sorry. <laughs> Thank, thanks for being with us, Jimmy. <laughs> no, I'll tell, um, I'll tell you. I'm excited was, about something. I'll tell you. I just got the, I just got okay. in. But tell me. What was the question? Is there anything you miss about your previous shop? No. Not at all. 
<laughs> there you go, Vincent. <laughs> See, if you'd been listening, it would have been no, 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 like right on the bat. But. No, but it, people ask me that all the time. And now that I'm doing the so-called Duresta classic videos, a lot of them are done in the basement. Everyone's like, oh, I missed that basement. I wish you were still there. Absolutely the worst shop I ever had. Of course, it was nostalgic. It was cool. It was a great New York story. But it's like taking it, like, imagine being like a... Uh, Imagine being in a cage, like literally you, like the minute you go outside your door, you can't park your car. It's fun being on the street. New York is a nice place for a young artist. And it is absolutely a great inspirational place for a young artist in New York city. And, you know, Casey Neistat just moved out of New York city. I, I don't, I don't know him and I don't know exactly what his reasoning was, but you get to a point in New York where it's just like, Oh, you know what? I need more space. And it's just like everything around you. It just feels like you're just being, like bombarded. I got to a point too where I couldn't walk down the street without having 10 conversations with neighbors that I didn't necessarily want to put the time into talking to because they wanted to chit chat to me about my, my rising YouTube fame. And I'd be like, Oh, cool. Oh, I'm really happy you watch. But then I'd see them three hours later and they want to talk about the same thing. Then I'd see them the next morning. They want to talk about the same thing. They didn't realize they were like trapping me and just like, I didn't want to be rude. So that was one thing. But the basement itself, bringing plywood down a set of stairs, having 25 apartments above me that I feel responsible for. God forbid I should have set a fire down there. I would have put 25 families out. So there was the anxiety of that constantly, especially when we started welding. I mean, there was a standing rule. Don't ever leave. If you've welded, you have to stay for at least an hour, hour and a half before you leave to make sure you're not setting a smoldering fire. And, you know, just the anxiety of all that uh, and turning around, banging pipes and not having sufficient electricity and flooding and the toilet. I don't know if I ever made this clear. There was a toilet in the basement, a toilet bowl. And when I would have a backup, half the time the backup would come out of the toilet. That would mean that everybody in that toilet stack that was flushing their toilet, (laughs) it would go out of their apartment and come into my basement. You know, <clears throat> one of the things I enjoy most about the fact that you don't have that shop anymore is hearing this story. Because <laughs> I remember like when you told it before and I was just going like, that is absolutely disgusting. I could not imagine being in my workshop and having oh, 25 <laughs> so <nasty>. apartments of, <laughs> oh. of flush come. Like you, I would be like, sometimes I'd come in in the morning and I'd be like, Oh, cool. Everything's dry. And then because there'd be moments where it would be worse than other moments. And we'd have like three incidents in a week. <clears throat> and then like I'd be I'd be washing my hands and I'd look over at the toilet and all of a sudden the water would start rising and then the water would start turning color. And I'd be like, here we go again, Dave. Let's open up the, you know, batten down the hatches, get the hose, get the broom. We're in for it. Yeah. So I don't miss that shop. Nasty. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Um, all right, we got time for, yeah, we can do a couple more. Uh, let's see, there was another one here that was, oh, I, this is kind of interesting. I think I know what the answer is for everybody, but might be good to address. This is from Kevin Doherty. Um, as your channel's businesses grow larger, do you find it more difficult to stay grounded? What keeps you tied to your roots? <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I mean, I don't think so. For me personally, I, when it all comes down to it, I'm a dude in his basement making the stuff that he wants to make. And I don't feel like just because we have more opportunity as a business and there's more people, I don't think that changes. I mean, I think there's layers on top of it. There's complexity that gets added, you know, like I have to pay payroll and think about insurance and stuff like that. But um, I'm still just a dude who likes to make things and I want other people to make stuff too. So I, I don't, think I have a difficulty staying tied to those roots because without those roots, there is nothing. There's, there's no business. There's no team. There's no anything. Uh, if that kind of central, you know, thing falls away, uh, that's me. I don't know. You guys have thoughts on that? My read the question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dave. So, well, my roots has always been just grow and expand. When I was an audio engineer, I wanted to learn everything that I could. So I tried to learn, I tried to, uh, make that grow as fast as it could. When I became a web developer, I tried to learn everything 
that I could. And that's a wide, that's a wide topic. And so I always tried to get better. And then when I got into woodworking and content creation, the roots is take what you have and just build on that. And the hardest part is to continue to build on that. I've, I, I, I can, I can visualize and I can build the things that I want. How do I expand on that? So I'm trying to bring in other materials, other things and, and other disciplines. So my roots is growing and, uh, and I, and I feel like I'm always growing. Did that answer the question? No. Yeah. All right. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> so Jimmy, the, the question was, as your channel business grows larger, do you find it more difficult to stay grounded? What keeps you tied to your roots? Oh no. I, yeah, I, I like your answers basically like, I'm just a guy making stuff at the end of the day, you know, sometimes like I'm being offered a job right now, which is, it's just a huge amount of money. It's totally, it's nothing to do with YouTube or endorsements. It's a physical fabrication job. And, and I'm looking at it going, you know what, this is the kind of job that I would have wanted a few years ago, but now it just looks like a hassle. And so in that way, like I could take the job and I could do this super cool, cool, futuristic build that this person wants for me. And, and it would be fodder. And, but I'm like kind of leaning to stay away from it because I want the simple life. I want to just make cool stuff and film it, you know, like kind of my, my roots in my basement as far as YouTube goes. But yeah, I, 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 I like just to simply like making the bag that I just did was such an amazing process for me. I just, I learned so much and I see a potential now with like a cool handcrafted thing that has like warmth and, and, you know, a little bit of nostalgia and a little bit of tradition to it. I could take this job and go for the money, but I'd be like dealing with fiberglass and art directors and, you know, all these people that are just the opposite of fun. Some of my first projects were bandsaw boxes and it was so satisfying to complete one. And I still have that same satisfaction when I complete something now, whether it's another box or, or this closet organizer or, or, or whatever. So it's that satisfaction of completing something and and just making with your hands is so rewarding. Yeah, I, I think like maybe I, for me, having other people involved, having a team built up from the outside that may seem like, um, well, I don't know how to say it, but I could see where that may look like I'm getting away from my roots. But I, I think honestly, that's, we have the people we have because they're good at stuff and them being good at stuff means I don't have to try to do as much stuff poorly. <laughs> right. So like I can try <laughs> I like to do that. the part that I'm okay at and the part that is the root, I can do that while, uh, and, and not be so slow at doing, trying to do it all myself or trying to do the majority of it myself. Having other people enables me to do more of that kind of core stuff or at least do it faster you know not put out a video a month because that's all i can swing having people help with all of the entire process just makes me be able to do more of that core thing so i I could see why from the outside that may look like you know we're getting away from the kind of central meat of the original thing because there's other people involved but then there's another part to it too like um there was there were a few questions on here that i haven't gotten to that are about like you know Jimmy bought a racetrack, Bob bought a farm, uh, you know, this stuff. Like, how is that changing things? And for me, the the farm, a big part of that was I need another place to be able to make my own stuff. I need, I need a new canvas to have personal things that I can create and use there because our house is, you know, we don't have, we don't need furniture. We don't need a renovation as much anymore. And so the alternatives there would be well, I guess I could start making stuff for other people. I'm not really going to care about that so much. And that's not going to be uninspired content. But then having the farm or having another personal place or a personal way to make things that I'm personally interested, that keeps that root in place, totally. I think. Totally. Yeah. What I was going to say, Bob, is that you're like the way your life is now is the way I thought it was when I met you. So it's almost like you came to who, in my impression of you, you were. Not that I'm the end-all, be-all, but when you first emailed me, I told this story before. 
when I first saw your logo and you emailed me and we first started talking online, I was like, oh, wow, I just started working with Make Magazine. And I thought you were like an alternative like partner to Make Magazine. I didn't know much about Make Magazine when I first started working with them. And when your logo came through in an email and I saw what you were up to, I'm like, oh, cool. Bob works for a giant company called I Like to Make Stuff and he likes what I do. And I thought you were going to hire me to make videos for I Like to Make Stuff. That was my very first impression. So like you are becoming that impression, the very first impression I got of you. And that had a lot to do with your just your look, your presentation, your email to me. I forget what it was. I could probably dig it up and find it. That's funny. But you are becoming, have become like what I am, my impression of you was when we first had initial contact. It's like dress, dress for the job you want. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember I'm like, oh, this guy doesn't even have a YouTube channel. He's not going to hire me. I think it was you. Maybe you just started your channel because I remember the opening was yeah. Is that your opening, Dave? I don't know who's opening that. That's funny. Well, um, we could do a couple more, or we could just wrap it up. You guys have any? Let's, do, let's do one more. One more. Okay. Um. Well, now I have to find one. Oh. Oh, this is a, a... Okay, here we go. This is good. This is from Chris Crawford. Hey, Chris. Um, if there is such a thing as retiring from being a content creator, what would that ideally look like for you guys when you're at that point? I'm sure you will keep podcasting and we'll see you making a <laughs> podcast one million episode of it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, retiring. I mean... No. Is there an end to this? I hope not. For you guys. I, I look at my grandfather, who just turned 97 years old. He is still out in a shop every day making these crosses. He has a purpose. His purpose is to make these crosses and spread them out throughout the world. And that gives him a reason to get up every day. I don't want to retire and do nothing or travel the world. I want to make things. I want, I want to share ideas. That's, that's who I am. I don't see retirement. Yeah, I, I don't see myself retiring. I just see my, my collection. I'm becoming like the purveyor of cool old objects slowly. And I like as I get into my older years, I just one of the emails that was interrupting my thought process with you guys was that you guys know Mr. Pete, the machinist, mm-hmm. the online your your YouTube shop teacher, Mr. Pete. Anyway, Mr. Pete recently on his Instagram, he posted his hit miss engine collection. And he says, uh, these have to go. I'm selling them. And I immediately wrote him an email. I said, Mr. Pete, of course. what do you want? What do you want for your hit and miss <laughs> engine collection? And he wrote me back a pretty fair number. And I said, they're mine. I said, where do I send oh, the check? Oh, man. How do we do this? <laughs> so I'm buying Mr. Pete's hit and miss engine collection. And that was his, he sent me a long form email, which because he's just been answering me back and forth quickly. But he said he was on the road. He just got home. So the long form email basically said, I'm so happy you're interested in my collection. And so a, as a retiree, I see myself being more like I just bought this bandsaw from Kentucky, which is coming soon. It's a second bandsaw of the giant bandsaw kind that I now have three of giant bandsaws. So I'm like, now I'm starting to think more in terms of like museum and less of like collection. So if I start putting together, like, of course, printing presses, I just, I I just am getting a, I'm getting a Heidelberg windmill press from Washington university. They, they called me and they said, we're rearranging our printing department. We have this Heidelberg press. Mm. We want you to have it. So Bryce, if you're listening, thank you very, very much for that. And, uh, uh, a young man from Quebec is bringing me a planer, a 1910, 20-inch wide surface planer that he said is going to go to the scrapyard. And I said, logistically, I can't get it. And he said, well, what if I bring it to you and you just pay for my gas? I was like, deal. That's only it's wow. 300 miles. And so... I'm starting to this collection of things that just keep coming to me. Uh, you know, some free, some I'm obviously paying for. But... I'm just rolling with it. I'm having these opportunities to get these cool objects. I have the space for them. You know, I have the racetrack now, which I'm still trying to figure out exactly. Taylor has a little bit of a vision for part of it. She wants to kind of make a little restaurant cafe. 
which I will personally won't run, but she'll with her friends run it. And uh, I have the building and then I have the other property. So in my retirement, probably looks like a museum of junk. I'm going to be like when, hmm. when I always joke and see, you ever see uh, the pickers when they always knock on the door and the crazy guy comes with suspenders or, or like overalls <laughs> and like no shirt and white hair. That's going to be me. That's Jimmy. Actually, it's a really cool idea because if you think about like um, having a, you have the junkyard where it's just like piles of metal, right? And you can go pick through that and be like, oh, that was a cool old thing that's now absolutely worthless because it's just destroyed, but it used to be cool. Then you have museums, which are everything's behind glass, everything's preserved, but somewhere in the middle, there's a working museum, mm-hmm. right? There's a an idea of a functional shop that is classic tools that are constantly being kept up and maintained, but you can use them or you can at least see them in action rather than them being at one of those two extremes of unusable or unusable because they're locked behind glass. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. And I think that could be something that a lot of people would be interested in at least visiting at some point because they don't have access to see that stuff yeah. in action. Well, like I said, my, that's, my that's print cool. shop that I, that I have envisioned for the, for the racetrack building I want to open that up to whoever is locally, you know, within driving distance that wants to come and use my print shop. And, you know, I'm even kind of anticipating somebody wanting to be like the, you know, the shop manager for that, that they can Mm. make and do their own prints because I'm obviously not going to print every day. So if there's a shop manager there, that's like a local person that wants to be involved in that. So who knows? You know, it's it's a long way off because it's still the building is still being dismantled by the previous owners they're still getting in there and taking mm. stuff because they know i'm not in the rush and, and we're at the moment uh they know i'm not doing it and they're also busy because it's the summer season the family owns a resort they they by the way are the family that is throwing the catskill mountain maker camp thing that we've been talking about anyway so yeah just uh well collecting junk my retirement You're doing that now. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, like, I, I think retiring from the content creation end of it is probably inevitable because eventually I won't be as pretty as I am now. Please note the sarcasm. Um, you know, and being on camera won't be quite as, like, much. It would. I don't think I will be able to reach the people I want to reach into my old age. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. I haven't really thought a whole lot about it. But I think eventually... Um, handing off that part of it to someone else or other people or something so that it's still relevant to the people it needs to be relevant to. I think that's more important than me being there, right? I think. So I could see eventually maybe that part of it having kind of a retired uh, stepping out of thing. But I'm with you, David. Like I could not, I couldn't live if I just was like, well, Time to get a recliner. You're right. I'm just going to sit around from now on until I run out of breath. You know, I mean, that's just not me. You can't so, even go on vacation. Think, exactly. <laughs> I would be terrible at retirement. <laughs> so I think if anything, if the content creation specifically were to be, you know, done or whatever, I think I would just end up finding other ways. I don't know, maybe teach or maybe um, just go build some insanely large thing in the woods that takes me 20 years to do or so. I don't know. I have no idea, but I, I won't be able to sit still. I know that. I mean, my grandfather, like you, my grandfather just was active and just did stuff his entire life. And, you know, if that, and my dad, who's re- been retired for several years now is busier and more active now than he was when he was working. So like, if that's any indication, like I won't be able to <laughs> really do that. So, and that's fine. I don't really want to. Um, maybe I'll build a house. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Hmm. Anyway, I'll think on that. Did you guys watch the Pure Life of Living channel? Guy, they built a house. I heard the name. Yeah, it's a great channel. They, uh, they've had some serious ups and downs. They built a post and beam house out in the woods in the Northeast from zero. Like the channel started with them having an empty piece of land and a tent. Huh? Wow. That's crazy. Um, is that your pick? It can be, but I was going to talk about Mr. Pete, uh, Mr. Pete, uh, Mr. Pete two, two, two is the channel. 
And that's uh, Lyle Peterson. Mr. Pete is a great machinist. I've probably talked about him 10 times in the last five years on this podcast. But also check out Pure Life for Living since it just came up. And it's a, a, a couple that quit their jobs and just said, we're going to build a house. And every trial and tribulation that came along with it, they knew nothing. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Um, well, let's see. Let me talk about Patreon real quick, and then we'll... <clears throat> David, you can do your pick, and then I have to pick one because I haven't done it yet. Um, big thanks to our Patreon supporters because we don't have ads on the show. We don't have sponsors. We have patrons, which is super cool. Um, and we do a little after show after this show, which is more of us talking. Sometimes there's secret stuff. Sometimes there's upcoming... I don't know. It's different stuff. And it's another 15-minute show or so after this. And everybody on Patreon at any level gets that. Um, but we have some top supporters that we're really grateful for. They go above and beyond. And those are Jenny and Davis, Modern DIY, You Can Make This Too, Blondie Hacks, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Maker in Training, Chad from Mancrafting, Works by Solo, and Corey Ward. Big thanks to them and everybody else who helps us out. And if you want to help, you can go to patreon.com slash making it. We would appreciate it. We got a message yesterday from somebody that said your top tier on patreon is sold out mm-hmm. and that's the names that i just read and i said they're sold out because i already have to not have to i already say a list of like 10 names and if we open that up then i'm going to end up saying a list of a lot more than 10 <laughs> names and i think that would be annoying for everybody to listen to so that's why there's a limit on that level um now, if we get a thousand emails from people that say they want me to say a thousand <laughs> names, then so be it. We can adjust. If but the community demands. That's why that's the after after yeah, show. That's why that's sold out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We have ten levels of after show. Um, all right, David, what you got? This week I'm going with America's Test Kitchen. Um, I, they have really great cooking tips. Uh, they're nice short videos. Most of them, uh, uh, the hosts are great. America's Test Kitchen has just been a great show for for many years, and their YouTube channel is fantastic. They, you know, the, there's videos on like 50 ways to cook chicken, 50 ways to cook potatoes, and then there's just quick little like, here's what you need to do for this. And they get in. Sometimes they get into the science stuff on why something works. This, I have been. I have this idea for a cookbook, and I've been making the same thing over and over again, trying to perfect it. Uh, and so someday I might write a cookbook and that I'm not, I'm not a chef. I'm not an expert at this, but I have some ideas. And so, um, this channel is just great for basic cooking knowledge. Great. Sweet. Do you have something, Jimmy? Oh, wait, I just, I got an email from Brad Leone yesterday. He wants to do a project with me. We might do something. Guys. What? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we have a mutual friend. So Brad and I have been talking through email for about the last year, but we haven't met yet. Patrick, the guy who does my electrical work and also works at the World Trade Center, sees Brad all the time because they work in the World Trade Center together. So that's anyways. cool. That's cool. He seems seems like a fun dude. Yeah, he Great does. guy. Like I said, we just, we've, we only know each other through our email correspondence, but he seems like a real good guy from as me from bon, bon appetit, appetit right yep. which is uh, probably my favorite of the cooking channels and i, I think i've mentioned them before they, you have that's the first ugh. time i ever heard of brad was for you huh. and it's so. funny now now he and i are friendly so we might be doing something in september um i'm having trouble picking something honestly because i just like the stuff that i've already liked i don't find a lot of new things and i really wish i could but i just don't watch a lot of youtube so let me give some stuff that I've I've mentioned before. I'll give a couple since uh, they're not really new. One is Sweet Tea Films. <laughs> Everybody behind me in the office just started <laughs> laughing. Um, so there's this guy. I've talked about him before many times. This guy named Joel, and he's a filmmaker, like a video guy, and he does corporate work and all this stuff. But he has a couple of characters on his – it's called Sweet, Sweet Tea Films is his company – he has a couple characters, and he does these weekly videos in these characters, and one of them is named Tavin. And it's this good old boy who mows lawns for a living and lives in a trailer park. And they're weekly videos, and they're just him talking to the camera, and they're hilarious. And he has, he's been doing this for, like, over 10 years. And his channel has... I'm, on, I'm me, looking it up right Because it's sad to me. His channel has 10,000 subscribers. And 
His channel started in 2006. Longer than 10 years. He should have way more because they're hilarious. They're like clean. It's comedy that like kids can get, you know, enjoy and adults can enjoy and everything. They're just funny. Um, and he's really good at, at filmmaking outside of that character, but that character is one that I really particularly enjoy. And I just feel like he should have a lot more people watching him because he's really, really good. I just so that's one. Good. Um, and I'm actually going to try. <laughs> don't hold me to this and don't tell anybody this several thousands of you that are listening, but I'm going to try to do a collaboration with him in character. We're going to, I want to try to figure that out. Joel's not listening and he doesn't know me. Josh just turned around. (laughs) Josh is like, wait, nobody told me this one. Yeah. I would, I would love to do a collaboration with Kevin, the guy in character, if we can figure it out. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Joel, you're not listening, but if somehow you happen to hear this, please get in touch with me. Um, the other <laughs> Josh is calling him on Twitter. <laughs> I've talked to him on uh, Instagram, so we might try to work it out. Anyway, the other thing uh, is is kind of like that in that um, I think it's underviewed for what it is. Actually, okay, two more things. Two more things. <laughs> One thing is the Smuggler's Room, which I've talked about before. It's this guy named Brian, super good dude. Um, he's making an entire room like Star Wars room in his basement. Actually, I think it's like more than a room, but it's wall panels, it's decorations, it's props, it's lights. It's a big installation to make this kind of hangout room themed. And the videos are really upbeat. He makes a lot of stuff, uses all sorts of interesting prop techniques, but they're not all necessarily props. Um, And he just doesn't have enough people watching him. I think it's really good stuff. Whether you're into Star Wars or not, it's a good it's a, a lot of um, technique for, you know, customizing a place into a pr- specific look. So he's got a plan and he's using all these different techniques to make that plan happen. Um, so go check that out to follow along with this people who I think need more views on Twitter. A couple days ago, I asked a question that was like, who are some creators that you think add real value to the world, not just like people who like to talk to a camera, but like who actually add value, who don't get enough views. And people commented a gigantic list of people I'd never heard of. And so if you're looking for some new people to follow in a huge array of, you know, types of videos and skills and coverage and everything, go find that list on my Twitter. And like, I haven't gone through the list yet because there were so many, I just need to go through and click them one at a time and look at them all. So there's a lot there. That's what I got. Cool. Um, all right, we're going to go do the after show. And if you're a patron, you should come over and, and listen. And if you're not, you should go to Patreon and sign up and then come over and listen. Cool. I'll tell you about a really silly, stupid thing me and Brett did yesterday. Which you guys, awesome. if it gets approved, everyone's going to see it probably tomorrow. It's so stupid. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Love you. See you next time. <laughs>